Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. Throughout the series, we'll be interviewing influential innovators that are shifting the way things are done, introducing new ideas and energy to our evolving cities in a way that elevates human experiences and enriches lives. These leaders are being proactive and progressive in navigating success set up by innovative design, and we're here to share their stories with you. I'm Mark Bryan. I'm a certified futurist and leader of the research and innovation team for MA Architects. My passion is to find the underlying signals and drivers of change that influence how we promote innovation in the built environments of the future. And I'm Sam Moeller, Director of Strategic Communication for MA Architects. My passion lies in behavioral psychology. I love to understand the motivation behind why people do what they do, and I plan to share all of my studies on the topic with you throughout the series. On this episode, we are going to focus on how our environment, both built and natural, can have an effect on our mental well-being. We want to preface that this episode might cause a bit of anxiety, but don't worry, we will not leave you in that state, but rather we will offer up different points of views and perspectives to evaluate the topic as it relates to sustainability and eco-anxiety. That's right. On today's episode, we're going to dive into eco-anxiety. It is a term that's been coming around more and more when it comes to our world, climate change, and the fears and concerns around what the future looks like for nature. The American Psychological Association defines eco-anxiety as the chronic fear of environmental doom. In a 2017 study by the Association on the Correlation Between Climate Change and the Global Mental Health and Well-Being, it listed post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and hopelessness as the psychological effects of environmental disruption. We believe this is such an important topic to cover right now because many of our clients and your future consumers of 2023 are changing their behaviors, values, and goals based on the uncertainty surrounding climate change. A few examples of this can be seen in our second to youngest generation, the Gen Zers, or as they are now being dubbed, Generation Now. Beyond that, there are huge movements all over the world to lessen our use of plastic, immersive art exhibitions around trash that find its way into our oceans, and shopping with purpose. But before we get there, we are going to also cover some history around sustainability and some trends on where sustainable design is going. To help us with all of this, we are going to have MA Architects Sustainability Leads, Jonna Keller and Jess Glorious D'Angelo, join us. We love talking to these two as they always leave us wanting to save the world and give us the tools to do so. Jonna is a registered architect specializing in sustainable design and consulting, known to speak around the country on the topic of sustainability, accessibility, and mental health. Jess is a newly registered architect who's beginning her journey into career specialization in sustainable design, both with nationally recognized sustainability projects and initiatives. Each has a long list of certifications after their names that establishes them as experts and thought leaders in this space. If you want to know more about their certifications, please visit our website. These two are my go-to when it comes to sustainability and the built environment. Agreed to the max. I've never cared so much, and I'm telling you this passion is contagious. Get ready to be inspired to save the world with us today and understand how we can create a brighter future and alleviate some of that eco-anxiety. Welcome, Jonna and Jess. Yes, welcome. We are so glad to have you on our show today. Glad Thank to you. be here. Welcome. So to kick things off, Jana, could you give us the one-minute elevator pitch of your background and what you do at MA Architects? Yeah, so I think it's important to understand what sustainability really is. Um, and in building and construction, sustainability really includes not just environmental health, but it also includes human health. Um, the, the health of our people, of our built environment, of the planet are necessarily intertwined. Our well-being, 
Um, our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our emotional well-being always depends on the land we inhabit and the communities and spaces that we build. It's no longer enough to simply just focus on the occupants within the spaces. Um, we must also understand how our design decisions impact people outside the spaces that we create and the larger communities in which we live and work and play. So sustainability really includes not only just high performance design, but also health and wellness. It includes equity, it includes ec ecology in the built environment. And focusing on all these key areas, which is what Jess and I do, um, really enriches the whole spectrum of what it means to live and prosper in our current world. Jonna, real quick, I think that a lot of people still hear the word sustainability or green design and they think, I mean, solar panels on your rooftop. I'm especially interested, of course, in the human aspect of all of this. Can you give me one or two examples of what that would look like in the built environment? A really good example of how people are thinking about a human's version of sustainability in the built environment. I think the two most important criteria for health and wellness in the built environment is indoor air quality, especially important right now as we're talking about COVID, um, and daylight. I mean, people sort of underestimate how important daylight and being able to see outside is important to us on a daily basis. Um, and those two things, I think if you invest in those two things in a building, you'll get so much bang for your buck. I think it really brings it home that it's a much more expansive topic than just solar panels on a roof. You know, it, it's a lot more and it's all encompassing. And so Jess, can you also give us your just one minute elevator pitch of, of, of your role at MA Architects? So I am sustainability coordinator. And so in a lot of ways, I am just helping Jana, which I don't know if she said, but she's now the director of sustainability. So, uh, and so my role is really just to help her as much as I can and to get, you know, help make sure sustainability is a part of everything that we do here and uh, getting us some more awesome projects with some awesome clients. So. Jess, you're out of our Cincinnati office, which is really exciting to have representatives that are so passionate and so purpose-driven in both offices. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you're doing in Cincinnati and some of the partnerships you've created and the initiatives you guys are running with there? MA Cincinnati is part of the 2030 district in Cincinnati, which is um, a whole group of companies and institutions and universities that have signed on saying that they're committed to reducing their energy, their water, and their transportation emissions by about 50%. And then Cincinnati has this awesome fourth pillar called Occupant Health, which is about to be um, coming underway here soon. So we'll be sharing more about that in the next coming weeks. Uh, so those are the, that's the big one that we're a part of, and we're a key, we're a member and a stakeholder there as well. So. I'm so excited to see what comes next. It gives me so much hope for the future. And Changing the world. Agreed. Lessons at eco-anxiety. All yes. right. Now, Jana, we really want to dive deep to get to know you. We do this every time, and I can't wait to do it today since you two are such interesting human beings. You have a drive for sustainability and the intersection with accessibility going beyond ADA to universal design. So we want some simple truths from you. We have three questions we'd like to ask to get some insight on you on a more personal level. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. What are you most excited about these days? Well, I'm sort of obsessed with building a tiny camper, and I don't know if it's just a dream, but I did get permission from the spouse to, like, entertain this in a more tangible direction. Ooh. Do you have to tuned. come up with, like, a three-point PowerPoint presentation in order to present your ideas? <laughs> I feel like that's what I have to do. B budget is, of, of course, important, and then also I have to draw drawings. <laughs> Now that you've never done that before. I was going to say, it sounds like your wheelhouse. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens. What is the skill still unmastered? Singing. Although, I mean, I do it all the time. I 
if if I'm in a good mood, I just sing around the house, and my spouse then knows that I'm in a good mood. I guess that's a good warning. If I'm not in a good mood, I'm not singing. <laughs> um, but often it's like we're living in a musical. Please tell me that other people do that. Yeah. Just burst out the song <laughs> yeah. randomly. Okay. I do it all day long. I feel like Mark is like a literally walking like flash mob. So <laughs> he's just it's looking true. for backup dancers. Anyway, if you want to break out in song at any point throughout this, by all means, we could use the hype. Um, last question. What is the best way to decompress? Uh, for me, it's really just lifting heavy things and going for a run. I love it. <laughs> very, very physically fit for sure. Which, hey, t- like goes all back with sustainability, right? Exactly. You're living your mottos. I love it. All right, Jess, we know your passion for architecture, but we also want to let our listeners in on a bit more about who you are. Here are your questions. If you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you'd do? So I feel like I have to answer this in two ways because there's what I think I want to do every time I have a spontaneous day off and there's what actually happens. So on a spontaneous day off, I would like to go out into the world to a park, do something exciting. But nine times out of ten, I end up cleaning the house or something that I have neglected for so long. So Productivity is a nice thing, too, though, (laughs) I think. I think that's therapeutic, (laughs) like having a clean house, like when you're all sitting down. Absolutely. All right. What is the best thing that's happened this year? 2020 has been a big year for me. A couple of days ago, I got married. Congratulations. So, on Halloween. And then I also got licensed this year. So I'm now a licensed architect and a married woman. So 2020 is You just tackled it all. I love yes. it. <laughs> Personally and professionally, so much growth and success. That's so wonderful and well-deserved. Best way to decompress? Uh, so this also kind of depends on my mood. It can range from... Binge watching a really silly, cute, you know, nothing serious about it TV show to uh, going for a walk or playing with my one of four animals that I have. So, four animals? <laughs> I do. I have three dogs and a cat. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. I love You've it. It's like a beat. zoo. <laughs> I've got yes. three dogs, so I, I can't do cats, though. <laughs> I, I thought it. that too until one was in my house, and now I'm also a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So wonderful. Thanks, guys, for sharing that bit of personal insight on both of you. You're an amazing human beings. Yeah. And speaking of decompressing, I know my go to for decompressing right now is running outside. I think we're all embracing being outside. Something I know a lot of our guests and colleagues are talking about right now is being outside. Oh my gosh, especially I feel like with the rise of COVID, nature was such a key component to nurture and the world has definitely seen a resurgence of importance of time outdoors. Correct. And we're also talking about climate change, carbon footprint, carbon neutral, biodiversity, climate adaptability, and resiliency. Our conversation today is going to center around a lot of these topics, but primarily focusing on sustainability, its current state, as well as where we're going. So to kick things off, Jonna, could you maybe give us a brief snapshot of what sustainability is and how it relates to the built environment? Um, Yeah, so as I kind of mentioned before, sustainability is really an umbrella that captures a bunch of different aspects of the built environment. It captures high performance design and health and wellness and ecology and equity. Um, and for especially for Jess and me, um, it's really a design philosophy and it's a design process. Um, and it's a series of best practices. It's like a set of best practices of how we should be more sensitive to the built environment for the people who occupy the space, for the people who are live in the community adjacent to the space for the environmental impacts, our green spaces, our waterways, our air quality. Um, And what's been interesting uh, for us lately is that 
um, I think health resilience and equity have really been sort of um, pushed into the in the spotlight for all the things happening in 2020. Um, and these are things that are deeply rooted in sustainability and things we've been working on for a while. Um, and the way things have kind of shaped up this year, this has really been, people have been able to sort of see these as like um, a, a shift in our design practices. And so we'll, I think we'll be leaning a lot on sustainability uh, going forward. Um, and uh, I think it's important to also talk about, um, going back to sort of the design philosophy is, Sustainability is often sort of like, this is, we're gonna make zero impact on the environment. We're gonna have, uh, we're just gonna reduce our negative impacts. But um, there's maybe a better way to go about this, which is under the concept of regenerative design. So it's important to sort of say, some people need to be pushed towards the sustainability aspect and making less uh, negative impacts. And some people need to be pushed into the regenerative side of things where we make positive impacts on the community, positive impacts on the environment, positive impacts on the on the people, um, really what is what is good look like in the built environment? And if we start building things with the out, outlook of like, what is the good thing that we wanna do with building this thing? What is the What are the good impacts that we wanna have on the world? How do we reframe it as that kind of shift? Absolutely, what would you say are like the key distinguishing factors between sustainable and regenerative design? Um, I think regenerative is a framework that starts with the question of what does good look like? And sustainability starts with the impact of, or the question of how do we reduce our impacts, our negative impacts? Yeah, and I really think what I love about what you just said was that in 2020, we can still have something positive. You know, we can still have something that is a good that has come out of this whole pandemic, work from home, all of the bad things that have happened to our entire world. And then you also talked about how it has a positive impact on us. And so I think I want to pivot over to Jess and just say, Jess, maybe could you give our listeners some information on both the positive and negative side effects of how the built environment affects us um, and our larger world? Sustainability deals with three important concepts of um, community, economy, and environment. So that's often known or referred to as a triple bottom line. And and so talking about the environment first, because that's what you know, people most associate with sustainability, is that um, you know, from an energy to a water standpoint, but also materials and getting into like how are the materials extracted and um, where are the factories located and what impact do those factories have on where they're located. So it's also like a whole bunch of downstream impacts of like positive and negative of what the built environment can do. And then also from the people standpoint as um, the built environment obviously impacts occupant health in a lot of ways for people that inhabit it every day or people in that community. So um, like, you know, the environment, the built environment can positively impact um, mental health, give you places for respite and opportunities to, re to um, de-stress. Then for the economy, it's also like the built environment impacts not only the for our clients their bottom line but also the communities that they're in so how does the building it, it has a positive and negative impact on the communities that they're built in as well so it's, it's really all three of those things we have to look at for how our buildings impact the world i love that so could you maybe give us an example you said um, how the buildings could affect the occupant health what did you mean by that so from like an air quality standpoint, um, especially now with COVID, um, making sure that you have proper ventilation and um, humidity levels as well as operable windows and you know, 
the right amount of outdoor air and as well as water, the water that comes in the building, make sure that's treated well and um, adequately tastes good as well to encourage people to want to drink the water. And then um, obviously stress. So um, things like biophilia can really help you de-stress in a space. And especially with 2020, I think that's an incre incredibly important um, opportunity for us in, our, in the built environment to make sure that we provide those spaces. You guys as not a designer by trade, but researcher in communications, human behavioral, interested human being, I would love biophilia. I think it's like my number one design topic that I love to talk about, especially in a positive way. So can we look at that really quick and maybe help some people that are listening understand what biophilia is and how it impacts us in a positive way? Jana, you want to take that one? Um, yeah, sure. Actually, this is one of my favorite topics as well, because I feel like in some ways it's the root of sustainability. Literally the root. <laughs> you no, guys, no, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, but biofuel is really our innate connection with nature, and it's our desire to affiliate with nature and other living things. Um, so in biophilic design, we really use this connection to nature to inspire our designs, to create spaces that can evoke an emotional response because they're tapping into who we are on a primal level. Um, if you think about when you're outside in a park, um, how you might feel, if you feel the wind blowing, if you hear the birds chirping, if the sun is shining, all those things that kind of combine and create, um, they literally light up parts of the brain that make you feel good. Um, we can take those same sort, of, same sort of phenomena and bring it into the built environment. We can have, uh, air movement and airflow throughout the building. We can play with light and shadow. We can create um, different geometries that create different sort of proportions and whatnot. So you feel sort of tucked in and safe, but can look out around you. Um, so it's really about taking those elements from the, uh, from the natural environment and sort of bring it in, and how they affect us on, on a, an emotional level and bring those same ideas and concepts to create those um, emotional, excuse me, those emotional responses in the built environment. I love that so much. As you were describing that scene, I was like shutting my eyes and going to my happy place. That sounds like such a dream. So for our listeners, whether they're at home in their own personal spaces or business owners and thinking of ways to enhance their company spaces, whatever that looks like, what would be one or two easy ways that you could bring those elements outdoors inside? Um, well, I think I think it's also important to mention a little bit of scalability. So if you're in a um, like really dense urban environment, street trees are enough to create that same um, response in the brain. Whereas if you're in a rural area, you need a lot more of it. Interesting. So um, a little bit goes a long way if you're in a dense urban environment. So um, if you are in like a city and you want to bring some elements into your uh, workspace, you know, focusing on that daylight that you have in your office, maybe creating some nooks that give you a little bit of refuge from the busyness. Um, and um, I hesitate to always talk about uh, plants, but it is an easy way to sort of access biophilic responses, Such a right? Love. Um, but yet, there are other ways in which you can bring in those same responses too. So it's a, it's a combination of all those different elements, but you can bring in small amounts and it goes a long way. I know one of my favorite ones is uh, touch, right? So I think, uh, like, I have a stone that I keep at my desk that actually helps me to calm and relax just by touching it, too. I think tactility is also another easy way that I found sustainability can be brought in from biophilic standpoint right. as well. 
that yeah that haptic therapy kind of thing it's interesting too to think that it's almost multi-sensory the whole concept of sustainability that you could really draw in all of those elements to engage yourself and really immerse yourself a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy talks about engaging your sight your sounds you know even your touch to your point and that's how you can ground yourself that's how you can find yourself back in the presence you know your breath is always in the presence waiting for you no matter what so it's interesting to think it's also probably pretty grounding and helps alleviate anxiety if you're engaging those senses in the way that helps activate those brain chemicals that you would find from being outdoors you know and connecting with nature even inside so that's really cool and I know personally I knew I was an adult uh, when I could keep a plant alive, so <laughs> that gave me some good feeling of positivity, Succulent, too. <laughs> succulents are hard, I'm just saying. Like, no matter how much they say it's easy, they are hard. I totally agree with I'm you. I'm just saying, you guys, I'm a master now. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Jess, let's talk about how this affects the health and well-being of a building's inhabitants. So there's a lot of research and... Um, I'm going to direct you online, but basically there's a lot of research that productivity in offices goes up 8% when there is biophilia in the space or biophilic design, as well as um, it increases creativity and reduces absenteeism. So for any office, especially right now when, you know, everyone's trying to stay alive and, and profitable, like that's a great thing to try to incorporate. Um, also in school, increase, increased rates of learning goes up 20 to 25% in the presence of biophilic design. And, I, and the most uh, cited example is in hospitals where they inc- introduce biophilic design and um, patients, uh, the recovery times decreased 8.5% and pain medication was reduced 22% when there was biophilic design and views of nature. Um, and even from a retail standpoint, this isn't necessarily health and wellness, but I think it, it gives you an example of the importance is that um, people are more willing to rent from a space that has biophilic design, and they're willing to pay 8 to 12% more money for that space. And so it's an important, important thing for us as designers to keep track of, especially as it reduces stress and, and it makes people feel happy. And when people feel happy, they tend to be more productive and they tend to, you know, their health is better normally. And so I think that's an important thing for us to keep in mind as we go forward. So one of the things that I think that a lot of people don't think about is that these we talk about these biophilic moments as moments, and they they're, have long-lasting impacts on us. I know I read an article that said uh, even after having a biophilic experience with like a tree let's, or a plant, it has positive impacts on the brain hours after that. So it's not just about a short-term quick fix. To your point, Jess, it, it does have long-term impacts on people's productivity and because it has a long-range effect. Exactly. Jess, you brought up how we're all trying to find ways to survive right now. I'd be curious from both of your perspectives, how biophilia or sustainability might actually be able to help us uh, prevent the spread of disease in the built environment. I know you guys have been doing a lot of research on that. So maybe, Jana, could you uh, give us some updates on how biophilia can help us in our current situation? Um, Yeah, so I think sustainability-wise, I'm going to lean on some green building rating systems here for a little bit because that's a nice way to sort of rooted in scientific evidence and there are sort of standards that you can meet and and what have you so maybe that's an easy place to start um but i think the you know we have uh green building rating systems that focus solely on health and wellness uh particularly well and fit well um and and those are focused uh a lot on indoor air quality and ventilation and fresh air rates and um, appropriate humidity levels and um 
sometimes operable windows, um, and also cleaning protocols. Like that's really important right now. So not only just focusing on indoor air quality and monitoring, but also um, cleaning protocols, um, high touch surfaces and whatnot. Um, and I think uh, Jess mentioned earlier about uh, water quality and making sure we're adequately hydrated and have good clean water to drink. I think these are primarily the best ways to address um, health related to COVID. I was just gonna add that like biophilia and biophilic design in and of itself doesn't necessarily help mitigate spread because it's a fine line, especially if you bring in plants, you have to make sure that the humidity levels in that space are adequately addressed with your mechanical engineers and stuff like that. But that like incorporating biophilic design can definitely help with the stress and everything of being back to the office and um, you know, just the nature of that stress of you know, COVID still being around and being back in the office, that those moments with biophilic design can really go far. Which I think that's actually a good segue, right, for our main topic today to talk about eco-anxiety. We've talked about how nature in the built environment can impact our moods, our thinking, our productivity. So it makes sense to understand that climate change and what is happening to the environment can affect us psychologically as well. So, John and Jess, what are your thoughts on how the built environment and sustainability can help us address eco-anxiety? Well, first, I think that it's important to understand that eco-anxiety is real and it's legit and that it's something that we all feel in varying ways. Um, and I, I'm sort of very action-oriented and I don't stay with the feelings very much. Um, so I, for me, it's really about just, all right, well, what are we going to do about it? Um, so there are a lot of things that kind of happen maybe behind the scenes uh, in sustainable design that maybe not everyone knows about, but when we're building a green building or actually when we're just learning about new materials, we are often talking to manufacturers about their impacts on the environment and human health. And we're sort of questioning like, well, why are you doing it that way with carcinogens? You know, why are we gonna put carcinogens in our hospitals? Um, or why are we gonna put reproductive toxicants in our elementary schools? Like, we're really working behind the scenes with manufacturers, so it's not only making the building that we're building currently, better, but also the next building, because we're advocating for that change um, at a higher level that's going to impact the entire building industry. Um, and then it's also about um, educating people. It's about educating our owners and our clients and our um, colleagues and just people in the professional uh, industry that we're in. Um, and I kind of imagine that, you know, once you know a thing, um, you can't really unknow it. So once you know about the environmental or human impacts of our buildings or um, or the materials that we're using, you can't really unknow that. And you're going to sort of advocate on your own uh, in your own way in what you're doing uh, to make the world a better place for everybody. So um, I'm just kind of hoping that kind of spreads that like the uh, the advocacy, uh, the passion. Um, the little bit of information that you can get from each project kind of spreads into everyone that we touch and talk to. It requires so much intentionality, I think, but that investment in the beginning really pays dividends in the end, not only for now, but for what's next. And I think one of the most incredible things that I admire about you and Jess and all the work the sustainability team at MA does is that it's something that you guys have already thought of from the beginning. It's not an afterthought or something about how could we incorporate or how could we get lead certification. You know, while that's nice and those are great accolades to have and accumulate and and have as a trophy that's not the only why you guys are doing it from the beginning because that's what's driving your passion for the built environment and I think your foresight is far far beyond to your point that just that building exclusively you know it's about the legacy that these owners and 
our cities are gonna leave behind and what we're gonna create for the future. So if anything, it's such an inspirational thing to think about and such an, an amazing way to really, really have an impact on the future. Exactly, and I wanted to add, because I'm not always immediately action-oriented like Jana is, and so I think it's important that the built environment gives people the space to feel the things that they are feeling. So eco-anxiety, any anxiety or depression or mental things or emotional things they might be going through, that there are spaces in the built environment like a respite room or um, places they can go and be with nature just so that they can process and comprehend what they're going through. And then when they're ready, dive into those action items like John was saying. And I think that's those are two very important ways and everyone processes things differently. And so we just want to make sure everyone's aware that it's okay if you feel those things and you don't automatically have to jump into action. You know, it can come as you're ready. I love that. And I love how that draws in that human side of it too. It goes beyond just the environment because they, we all work together as one. And I know one of the things I'm really proud of is our respite room post-occupancy survey had stated that people who had used the space felt that they had a 33% decrease in stress in just 20 minutes inside of that room. Um, And it's really incredible to think that, to you guys' point, I think having these respite rooms and sanctuary spaces inside of the built environment really help mitigate and help support people dealing with mental health issues, emotions. I mean, just being human. Sometimes it's hard. I think we all know that more than ever this year. And 2020 has really challenged us and will continue to change us. But I think that things that encourage and foster resiliency are appreciated now more than ever. So I hope that people are taking sustainability more seriously than they ever have before. I really want to stay on Jana and your path of action-oriented, and I want to kind of take it down to the individual level, and I want to tell our listeners, as someone at home who might be feeling like, oh my gosh, climate change is setting the world on fire, literally, you know, what could they do as an individual contributor? Let's do like a bronze, a silver, and a gold level. So for me, I recycle, but I know I could be better, right? So let's talk about like something somebody could do, bronze, silver, gold, starting with individual, and then we'll move on to organizational. I think the bronze would be, as an individual, keeping to recycle and, and doing all of those things. I think that would be, it's kind of the minimum, to not to be mean or anything, but um, that's kind of where we all need to be. I, and I don't know if Jana has a silver... I might say um, looking at your travel habits. Um, That's a good one. Uh, commutes, plane, all the ways that we travel, and maybe sort of decreasing your carbon footprint. And I would think the gold, and Jana is more than welcome to disagree with me, is um, really trying to look at your own house, like the whole thing, your windows, your energy consumption, your water consumption. If you can, there's a lot of awesome programs out there for residential things like um, uh, solar panels. So looking at those things and trying to see if you can start to incorporate those in your own house, I think that would be the gold level in my mind. I will say that uh, my husband has us basically unplug everything that we can in our house when we're not there because of the phantom draw, right? So you're not using power when you're not there. So I think those are great ideas. Yeah, keep giving me tips like this. I love this. (laughs) Keep going. Any apps you guys use? Any Oh, I was just going to say maybe a platinum-level idea is to really contact your um, legislators and just get policy, drive policy 
there's, it's not going to happen on its own unless people are dedicated to making policy happen. I feel like the fact that you created a platinum level says everything we need to know <laughs> that <laughs> your best is always getting better. And you're like, we cannot do enough. This is amazing. Do you guys have any other last minute tips? I know, obviously, sourcing locally, we talk a lot about local vism, farmers markets and things like that, eating in season, um, more from a human perspective, from nutrients is always a wonderful thing to do. It definitely serves your body best. Anything else like that, things you can do in your neighborhood, things you can do to encourage others to really support sustainability from that individual level. I know something that I do because I'm not super wealthy or anything right now in my life is um, I don't, I can't afford renewable or solar panels yet, but uh, we've paid through our energy provider. So it's Duke in Cincinnati that um, we now get all of our energy from a wind from a wind turbine we, we made that choice we pay a little bit extra for it um it's not the end-all be-all answer but it's something that like if you have that ability it's it's a good start i think and i guess i would just ask like do you feel that helps with any of the eco-anxiety that you may be feeling to like be I able do. to contribute in that manner it, it does because i, I want to be doing all these great sustainability things that i talk about all the time but getting there from a financial standpoint does take some time and so I, we, I do that, and it helps me feel a little bit better knowing that at least I'm doing that. <laughs> so, and, and as I hopefully get more money, hopefully that will start to change and things will I'll, I'll go, go full net zero eventually. But we'll, we're getting there. That's awesome. Uh, all right, guys. So now we're going to talk about the organizational level, right? That bronze, silver, gold, possibly platinum. Um, basically, just what if a company came to you and said, hey, we want to be better, you know, what is what are those three maybe four levels of how they can do that let's start with bronze i often like talking to owners and clients and organizations to find out what they're currently doing because i think that what they're currently doing has sustainable benefit to it but they don't often attach that label to it so um just digging into some of those things and being able to say hey here's your sustainability story that you already have like you're already doing good things um, and then with that, once you've built that sort of platform, you can kind of say, all right, well, I see that you also have goals around this and that. Um, why don't we do a couple of other little things and just taking them a little bit further? But I think that first step is just appreciating what people, recognizing what people are currently doing and then taking them a little bit further. And that doesn't have to do with you know, a green building rating system or a plaque on the wall. It just has to do with who they are as an organization and what their goals are. Just finding out through discovery. Yeah. Yeah. And this might be a cop-out answer, but I honestly think it's hard for us to answer that because each company is different, and each company has different resources or different goals, as John was mentioning. So that bronze, silver, gold, platinum is highly dependent upon the client we're talking to. And so we could say a whole bunch of things, but... um, they just need to talk to you is what I'm hearing. Kind of, <laughs> They yes. need to seek you out, the <laughs> yeah. experts, and decide, you know, from where they are, how their best can be better. Because, yeah, because sustainability, especially from that standpoint, from a corporate level or an institutional level, whatever you want to call it, it, it really does have to be tailored to each individual scenario. That's a, Yeah, that's a really good point, because I think for some organizations, it might be about little baby small steps, mm-hmm. and for others who are already sort of sort of doing a lot of uh, deep green kind of things, we might say, all right, well, let's talk about regenerative design. Like you were, you're, you know, graduate level sustainability, and we're going to talk about regenerative design at this point. Right. And, and there's a whole bunch of things that are in between. I think that it is lessening anxiety to know that there are people like you guys 
naturally I'm biased. I would, of course, pick you two if I were to build something, you know, to have you as my experts. But there are people that have dedicated their lives to this type of research and to this field and that you guys are the experts that can help them, like I said, make their best better. That's wonderful to think that there are people together that can help make the future better. So I think these are all great ideas, and hopefully they help our listeners figure out ways to, both within themselves and within the organization, to help address eco-anxiety and help maybe start that sustainable path for them. Would I be curious, you know, so as a certified futurist, I'm always looking for the signals and drivers of change of what's coming down the pike. Looking at what's happening today, I'd be curious from both of you, what do you think is happening now that's going to affect us even 10 years from now? Jonna, maybe let's start with you. Well, 10 years from now is 2030, which is the critical <laughs> moment in sustainability. So I th- I don't even think I can think 10 years from now. I, I mean, I think the best I can do is maybe five years from now and kind of maybe a sweet spot is two to three years from now. Um, but I think, you know, 2020 has really brought a lot of sustainability topics into the mainstream. And I think I mean, if there's a good thing to come out of 2020, it's that, right? That we're talking about health, resilience, and equity in the built environment, that we have a renewed interest in it, um, that it's taken a front seat and will be a priority for people moving forward. So I think those are going to be strong drivers. And I think looking at, like, how do we build more sensitively and equitably, and what does that look like in communities? And I think that things like these, the wildfires, we've had a whole bunch of major ones this year in 2020 alone, all around the world, and even hurricanes. And as these start to increase going forward, how that then impacts um, design in the built environment. And I think, um, as John said, all this renewed interest in things like air quality that result from the wildfires and and all of these things are going to really start to be um, integral in how we build I want to know from both of you, we'll start with John and we'll move to Jess. Why sustainability? What makes you so passionate that you want to wake up every morning and pursue this path of sustainability? Um, For me, I see a better way. And it's like I was saying about if you know a thing, you can't sort of unknow it. And I know the impacts that are, I know the impacts that are made by maybe less than stellar design decisions. Um, and I just, I see a better way and I want to try to fit that better way into every client's vision based on their budget, based on their goals. What can we do for them? What can we do to make their organization or institution stronger and better? I love that. Amazing. Jess? For me, I've, ever since I heard about sustainability in college, I remember I was just amazed at the, like the impact that buildings can have. And just like Jana, it's, it's after I knew that, it was like that was the only way I wanted to be. Um, and so always trying to make for that better future, and especially as 2030 arrives, and that is a big date, as Jana mentioned. You know, it, we're, we're getting down to the wire here. So that's kind of what keeps me going, I think. I love that. There's a lot of responsibility as an architect and a designer and builder and business owner and even individual, I think, a lot of responsibility to making the world more sustainable. And I'm also curious, Donna, what is the legacy you hope to leave behind? I think just to do what you can, even in small ways, to make the world a better place or to tell people, to talk to people, to discuss with people, to educate them on you can do a small thing and it has a big impact. I love that. Jess, turning it to you. Uh, the legacy I would like to leave, I guess, is just, especially in Ohio, 
I, I would love to see more deep green projects in this state. And, and I think that if I can help contribute to that as much as I can, that's the legacy I want to leave. Really inspiring. I have a lot of faith in the future with you two leading the way for sustainability. So thank you, Jess. Thank you, Jana, for being here um, and for sharing your innovative insights with us. These are the innovations that can help our listeners find inspiration in their own lives and to be thinking ahead to create change. We hope to hear more about these innovations in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at www.ma-architects.com, where we have an entire COVID toolbox up and running that covers the wide variety of sectors we serve. And if you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. If you liked what you heard today, please, please, please make sure you head over and subscribe to our podcast, like us, review us. We want to hear your thoughts so that you can be the first to hear what's coming in terms of innovations and trends from three to five years ahead. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Muller, and I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Again, thank you guys for being here. We really appreciate your time.